Welcome to DoD Secure, and I'm your host, Jeff Bennett. With the latest in information that you need to navigate the world of clear defense contracting, we'll cover a few articles as well as introduce you to our proud sponsors who provide goods and services that assist other clear defense contractors with their day-to-day activities, just making their lives so much easier. So stay tuned to information as well as our sponsors' advertisements that might just help you. And again, welcome back to DOD Secure. Today's episode, we're going to talk again about reasons for classification markings. We'll also talk about how the FSO can use the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency, the DCSA, reviews as some of their security metrics. We'll also talk about three requirements FSOs should include in cleared contractor initial security training and their annual refresher training. And finally, we'll talk about things you should keep in mind when you want your business to become a cleared defense contractor business. So let's get started. And first, we're going to talk about the use of classification markings. Six great reasons that we use classification markings. So classification markings are items that are applied to information or items that we know are classified. Again, classification is determined by an original classification authority being a government entity. Contractors, on the other hand, perform derivative classification. This simply means if if they produce a new product based on something that was already classified, it takes on the classification characteristics of that item that it was derived from. So if it's a document, we're going to find these classification markings on the top and bottom, on the front and back covers, and on the paragraphs, graphics, charts, or anything that is within that document. If it's an item such as a box or a disk drive, we're going to find it on the top and bottom, front and back, and the sides. Anywhere that the item can be turned and viewed, it should have the classification level on it. So these classification markings are applied at various locations, front and back, top and bottom of classified items. Again, in documents, they may be found in the internal pages, the paragraphs, and other locations. Um, The documents, this includes books, manuals, or other paper-based products. Now, here are six good reasons, besides the law and the requirement, that uh, you should be including these classification markings. They warn and inform a user that an item is indeed classified or sensitive. For example... Um, If somebody were to come across a classified item, they would see the classification level and know right away um, that that item is classified and hopefully it will provide them with the information they need to understand. Do they have need to know? Do they have proper access to be able to handle, look at, view, observe that classified information. It also warns the holder of the classified information 
that the classification level is secret, confidential, or top secret, and they are required to protect it at that level. So one, it provides a warning for authorized persons as well as unauthorized persons on how to store, work with, or otherwise handle classified information. Um, Number two, it conveys exactly what needs protection. So, for example, using our classified document as an example, it may be classified at secret, and that would be marked secret on the front, back, and perhaps the top and bottom of each page. However, each paragraph may be classified different. It could be unclassified. It could be determined as controlled unclassified information. Or each paragraph may be confidential, secret, or top secret. That marking allows an appropriate response to the classification level and the level of protection necessary for each part. So if you were to use you were to provide maybe a derivative classification from an item or a document that is marked at secret, but you only use the confidential information, then those paragraphs marked as confidential extracted from the secret document will make the new document at the confidential level. Number three, it identifies levels of classification or sensitivity Number four, provides vital information and instruction on when to downgrade or declassify the material. So, classification markings include what is classified, at which level it's classified, the duration of the classification, and downgrading or declassification guidance. It also, number five, gives sources and reasons for classifying the item. And this is simply... Why is this item classified? What was a source document? Was it a security classification guide? Was it a letter? Was it something else? Think of it as the genealogy of the classified information. And again, this is often transferred over to a derivatively classified document as well. So that's it. There are five reasons I just gave for the importance of classification markings. Maybe you can think of your own. I'd love to hear it. Be sure to email me at editor at redbikepublishing.com. At MathCraft, we believe security risks and lack of compliance are threats to a business and its people. We strive to provide our clients with the tools they need to stay compliant and prepare for the next generation of threats. Through comprehensive training, support, and customer resources, we transform our clients into security professionals with the know-how to defend their organizations and maintain comprehensive security programs. For more information or ways we can help, visit mathcraft.com or call 703-729-9022. At MathCraft, we support the mission of FSOs, CSOs, and other security professionals who stand at the front line of our nation's battle against foreign and domestic threats. With software designed to the latest federal security standards, we help them strategize, speed up self-auditing processes, create new workflows, generate reports, and receive technical information at a moment's notice. And again, if you're interested in some of the MathCraft 
products and services, check our show notes for a link to MathGraph. So now let's talk about the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency audits. These audits occur frequently and as necessary, usually between 12 months and one and a half months, depending on the mission of the defense contractor and the availability of the DCSA. Now, these audits are scheduled different times depending on whether or not the cleared contractor is a possessing or non-possessing facility. If you remember, a possessing facility has and conducts classified work within their location. A non-possessing facility usually conducts and stores classified information at another location, such as where a customer sits. The DCSA inspects the facility's security program with the primary purpose of ensuring their programs provide the proper protection of classified information that they are charged with protecting. Additionally, the inspection programs are designed to improve the effectiveness of contractor security programs. And at the conclusion of these inspections, the contractor is giving a rating ranging from unsatisfactory to superior. The ratings are important. However, I always recommend setting up your security program depending on the risk of the classified information under your possession to be exposed in an unauthorized manner. You can go with a checklist and ensure that you have everything um, required by NISPOM, but a checklist is a checklist. However, using a self-inspection handbook or similar tool can help you build a more effective program. That way, when you're security program is risk-based based on classified information as it resides in your facility and its location gives a more effective protection program and it translates very well during an audit or an inspection. So back to the audit. You can get um, five results from DCSA be unsatisfactory. That indicates that the contractor has lost or is in the process of losing their ability to protect classified material. There's a marginal rating, which indicates that the contractor is not meeting the requirements of NISPOM and has a substandard security program. Now, the unsatisfactory and the marginal um, categories may be reported back to the government customer. Otherwise, there are three other ones that may not ever be reported. Uh, One is satisfactory, and that's the most common rating, and it indicates that a company is generally in compliance with the NISPOM. The commendable rating indicates that a cleared contractor runs a successful security program and enjoys the support of the management. Superior is awarded far consistently, or it's reported, it's awarded less often, but for consistently high security postures and minimum amount of findings or security issues. Now, prior to each inspection, the FSO and the cleared contractor leadership should present the DCSA with a state of security briefing 
to introduce them and go over the company security policy. Similarly, DCSA um, representatives may provide an outbriefing detailing the results of the inspection. They also may be part of the in-briefing where they introduce themselves and their purpose and what they plan to do. Now, the outbriefing and soon-to-follow documentation of the inspection provides further data towards building an excellent security program. So, after the security review, um, by the way, if you get a superior, you're eligible the Clear Defense contractor is eligible to be in the running for a Cogswell Award, and that is a very prestigious award given by DCSA to Clear Defense contractors who demonstrate a superior security program. So during the audit, DCSA will make comments. They'll take a record. They'll discuss findings or things that don't rise to the level of the findings with the clear defense contractor. The clear defense contractor can take these results and use them to relook at their security program and find out what the gaps are, what the disconnects were between what they thought that their security program represented versus what was found by the DCSA review. This is a great way to look internally and go and fix issues or better communicate where the security program is and clarify any misunderstandings. In addition to this DCSA review, the cleared contractor is also required to look internally and conduct a self-inspection. The results from the self-inspection can also be metrics to help the cleared defense contractor better understand the state of their security program and make adjustments based on any gaps or any risks that they can mitigate or apply countermeasures to to reduce the risk level of their security program to protect classified information. Now I'd like to tell you about our other sponsored mission-driven research They are there to glorify God by empowering employees to fill their mission. Their vision statement is that every employee finding fulfillment and joy by actively engaging in the mission. Their core values are to go the extra mile for their customers, grow our employees personally and professionally, and give generously to our community. In their website, they describe themselves as a growing company providing technical services to the U.S. federal government. If you'd like to know more about Mission Driven Research, find them at missiondrivenresearch.com. And also, in our show notes, I'll include a link to their website and how to contact them. Let's talk about NISPOM Required Training. Many of you know that NISPOM does require that clear defense contractors conduct training and ensure their cleared employees understand how to protect classified information. Not only is it important to conduct the training, it's also important to document that training so when DCSA comes out and does its audit, the clear defense contractor can dis- um, demonstrate that they have conducted the training. They'll need to show the training that was conducted, the date that it was conducted, 
who took the training, and etc. That way everybody gets credit for that training. Not only is it hard uh, and time-consuming to put that training together, but it's also time-consuming to document it. Um, this is especially true with smaller clear defense contractors where the FSO is just one person and they do not have a staff to do this. So training is increasingly important as those working in the National Industrial Security Program employ the security measures at clear defense contractor facilities. This is under the National Industrial Security Program Operating Manual or the NISPOM. Challenges emerge as new technology provides increasing levels of difficulty while protecting that classified information. The FSO, again, the FSO could be a a leader with a staff of security professionals, or it could be somebody identified in the company that has the additional function of the FSO. They should foster an environment where training is encouraged and expected. Developing such relationships with cleared employees creates an environment of cooperation. Now, this environment facilitates the recruitment of all employees as the eyes and ears of the company to protect national security. Those working in the enterprise can be force muscle suppliers, the eyes, the ears, the muscle, and extending the effectiveness of the security program from the security department to all aspects of the company. FSOs should consider initial and refresher training and file reports as required by the NISPOM. So instead of conducting NISPOM training with compliance as the end goal, the training can be performed as an effective relationship building opportunity, perhaps looking specifically at requirements of contracts as found on the DD Forms 254. And this educational opportunity increases a clear cleared employees' knowledge of their responsibility to to protect classified material, detect attempts at espionage and other security violations, reporting classified incidents, violations, and status changes affecting those personnel and the facility clearance's ability to protect classified information. So, what should the training um, address? Well, there are three important issues that the training should address, and that's effective performance. Number two, it should communicate adverse information that should be countered. Cleared employees should be able to report credible information of anything that affects the ability of themselves, other cleared employee, and the facility's ability to protect classified information. Traditionally, those who have stolen information out of their organizations have demonstrating patterns and behavior that should have raised suspicion with other co-workers. Too much time at the copier or working late when unnecessary, sudden unexplained wealth and other indicators have been reported to investigators after the fact. Now, time reporting is a vital link between the security team, and the employees in the protection of that classified information. Adverse information should be reported immediately. Now, reluctance to report this information could stem from an FSO not adequately communicating the objective or fears of self-reporting or reporting on others. 
Security violations is another thing that training should indicate. Security violations occur when classified information is not protected and is potentially exposed. When violations do occur, they should be reported to the FSO immediately. So the training that the FSO provides to the Clarity employees should support these ideas or these goals. So training does a lot. It can enforce or enhance relationships that develop through the training process. And other interaction opportunities could lead to more willingness to report minor incidents and major violations. So I just wanted to share this fact and helpful hint. Um, There are many places to get required training topics that you can present to your employees. You can develop them them yourselves. You can find some to download. You can share with other FSOs. Um, We also have at redbikepublishing.com downloadable training that you can, again, download. And you can alter it and present it to your employees, you know, make it a little bit more tailorable. And at the end, there is a certificate that you're able to print off and put into one. You can give it to your cleared employee who passes the training or completes the training. You can also put it into the files to show it to DCSA when they come by. All right, I would like to tell you now, give you a special message from Sims Software. S-I-M as in Mike S. Software. As clear defense contractors, you represent the backbone of innovation, the front line of our national security and protectors of all that we hold dear. Sims Software is proud to be your ally in these endeavors. As most trusted name in industrial security information management for over 38 years, Sims Software equips you with the tools to protect the lifeblood of your organization. Our flagship Sims Suite provides all the features and functionality you need to run an automated, paperless industrial security program. Gain a 360-degree view of every physical, virtual, and human asset inside your security domain. From classified documents and materials to cleared personnel, facilities, visitor control, information systems, and more, SIMS supports requirements within all security communities. Visit SIMS at simssoftware.com or call 858-481-9292 or see our show notes for more information. All right, now let's talk about the things you might want to consider if you want your business to become a clear defense contractor business. There are a few things that you should think about. The facility clearance is required to be in place prior to the contractor performing on the classified work. This doesn't mean that a defense contractor or somebody who doesn't have a clearance cannot bid on or apply for that classified work. It just means the ability to perform once they win the contract depends on them having a security clearance. After the government contracting activity or the prime contractor um, makes an announcement, puts the contract out there, and enables a contractor to get their clearance, they start with the sponsorship letter. That's the first start. 
Once the sponsorship letter submitted to the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency, the contractor can begin the process applying for that security clearance so that they can perform work on classified contracts. A contractor has to meet five requirements before it can be processed for a clearance. And the, and the requirements are, one, they must be sponsored. Two, they have to sign the Department of Defense Security Agreement. Three, they have to complete a certificate pertaining to foreign interests. Four, they provide organization credentials. And six, they have to identify key management personnel. And these personnel must also have security clearances at the level of the facility. So we're going to talk about each one of these five points, these five things that a contractor must have in place before it can get a facility clearance. They're all part of that process. And that's what we discuss here at DOD Secure, the facility and personnel clearance process and how to protect classified information that we may have while performing on classified contracts. So going through it, um, you know, we just talked about a few things that you're going to, you can't expect once you do get your clearance. You, the clear defense contractor must perform NISPOM required training, and they also must be subject to a review by DCSA. So those are some of the things that you can expect once you get that clearance. This is the discussion about how do you get that facility clearance, and I named off the five points. So the first one, again, is sponsorship. What does sponsorship mean? It simply means a company is being recommended by a clearance by the prime contractor or the government. A company cannot apply for security clearance for business development purposes or to be more competitive. It has to be based on a legitimate contract. The security clearance process begins with a need, which is supported by a U.S. government or foreign government requirement, and the classified contract will be offered to meet that need. Department of Defense Security Agreement is the second part. It's called the DD Form 441. A security agreement is signed between the government and the clear defense contractor. This agreement is legally binding and designates responsibilities of each party to follow procedures established by NISPOM. The third one, again, is the certificate pertaining to foreign interests. This simply means that the cleared contractors are evaluated to determine whether or not they fall under foreign ownership, control, or influence, and to what degree. Just because um, a foreign company owns part of a company or the company is vested in a foreign interest, it does not necessarily mean that they will not get that security clearance. They have to mitigate the risk associated with that. And it is through the filling of the SF-328 that DCSA and the government can make a decision. The next part is it must have, um, you know, the proof of an organization, um, provide organizational credentials. The enterprise must be in good business standing and have a history of demonstrating a good reputation and ethical business practices. The company should prove that they are structured in a legal entity under the laws of the United States, the District of Columbia, or Puerto Rico, and have a physical location in the United States or its territories. 
And finally, key management personnel. These are the management or senior leaders who influence decisions regarding the classified contracts. KMPs must be identified, and they can be members of the board of directors, vice presidents, directors, or other upper-level managers. Also, neither the company nor the key managers can be barred from participating in U.S. government contracts. So, if getting becoming a clear defense contractor is your goal, consider these items. They can be found at the uh, more information can be found at the DCSA website. Additionally, it can be found in Insider's Guide to Security Clearances or How to Get U.S. Government Contracts and Classified Work. Both books are published by Red Bike Publishing and can be found at redbikepublishing.com and in our show notes. Thank you so much for attending another episode of DOD Secure. Uh, with me. I'm your host, Jeff Bennett, and it's been truly a pleasure. We're going on three years now, and we appreciate every one of you out there. Please go back through our catalog and listen to our other shows if you're new here. And by all means, send comments. I put an email link in our show notes, editor at redbikepublishing.com. Visit our sponsors, too. They've put a lot of themselves into this product, and we appreciate every one of them. Remember, you can find out um, more about our podcast and our service and products if you're interested in our show notes. So until next time, we'll see you.